Well, good morning, everybody. I missed you all the last uh, last couple of weeks. All right, so let's uh, let's take a step back and kind of look where we've been and where we are, and I guess to some extent where we're going. Um, of course, we're studying. This is you know theology class. Uh, technically, it's a what kind of theology? You remember the different kinds of theology? Systematic theology, exactly. Um, so it's systematic theology in that, think of systematic theology as, as categories. So we have theology proper, which would be you know, the study of, of, of God, God himself. All theology is the study of God. But theology proper is the study of you know, God himself. Uh, what would the study of, of, of Christ be? Christology. And the study of the spirit? Pneumatology. Come on, guys, you got to get, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so, yeah, it comes from the Greek word pneuma, which can mean um, wind, but generally it's, uh, it means spirit. And so it would be the, the study of the, of the spirit, of the Holy Spirit. Um, so anyway, so we've studied, oh, and then there's, there's one more that we, we've covered, which is uh, the study of man, which is anthropology. Okay, And so um, what we did was we began with kind of studying uh, we had a week or two of this is what theology is. You know, we talked about biblical theology, we talked about um, uh, historical theology, and we talked about systematic theology and kind of their interplay. And then we went through and we talked about the Bible, and we talked about the attributes of the Bible. Specifically, uh, there were four. Does anybody remember what they were? There's an acronym that kind of helps. So the clarity, the authority, the necessity, and the sufficiency of Scripture. Um, after that, we went into the study of God himself. And so we, I think we kicked it off with the Trinity. And we went through and, and talked about um, basic Trinitarian concepts and then basic Christological concepts. And specific, specifically with uh, Christology, we talked about the fact that God is, or that Jesus is uh, fully divine, he's fully human. Those two, uh, those two natures are uh, distinct from one another, um, but they are also uh, fully drawn together in, into one, one person. That's something we call the hypostatic union. After Christology, uh, we started getting um, kind of in a non-traditional order. Uh, um, Mike stepped in and started talking about the attributes of God. And so he talked about uh, two basic attri- kinds of attributes of God. you remember what they were? Communicable and incommunicable. Communicable and incommunicable. So communicable are ones that, uh, that he communicates to his, his creation, specifically to, to man. And so it, in a way, they are attributes by which we, we take after God, where you can tell that he's our father. And then incommunicable are ones that he alone possesses. And because we are not the creator, we're not eternal, there are certain things that we just cannot be, cannot understand, etc. Okay? And then, um, and then I, I guess I came back um, from my uh, several vacations back-to-back, which was kind of weird this year. And then uh, what did we talk about? We talked about... Um, 
Oh, I think uh, I actually wanted to do this topic, which is the love of God. But I couldn't quite get the lesson together in time. And so we ended up talking about something else, which was, oh, we talk, well, we did talk about grace. And honestly, I don't remember what we covered. I'm having a rough time this morning. Um, so anyway, so then Ken stepped in. And Ken, Ken oh, I remember, we talked about the image of God. That's right. We talked about the image of God. And then Ken came in, and he uh, kind of tried to track the image of God to the book that we're all studying uh, church-wide, which is called The Masculine Mandate. And so he talked a lot about creation and that sort of thing, and I thought it was a re- really good study. So today what we're going to do is we're going to step back, and we're going to hit that lesson that I wasn't quite ready for a month ago. And so it's, as you can see, the love, uh, the love of God. Okay? So I hope you guys are ready to talk today. I've got a lot of questions, and um, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for this time to come together to study you, to understand you, to get to know you better, not in, in just an intellectual way, but in a, in a way that where we personally know you better. Uh, Father, uh, be with us in your spirit um, that um, only truth will be spoken and only truth will be remembered. And anything that's wrong or uh, incorrect or inaccurate uh, will soon be forgotten. Father, we love you. We trust you. Help us to glorify you in everything that we do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So what is love? Great question, right? So what does love mean today? Uh, what does love mean in today's world? Open question. Go ahead. Feelings. Feelings. Can you be more specific? sacrifice. Okay. It's just about, you know, it's fleeting, it's temporary, it okay. can be lost, it can be okay. you know, acquired. Good. So it's about feelings. And so if I love so-and-so, it's, it's, um, I, it's kind of code for uh, so-and-so makes me, makes me feel good, right? And that can be different ways, right? Um, because when you're a, a teenager, um, I remember when I was a teenager, I was in 10th grade, and um, I'm going to give away my age here real quick. Uh, Foreigner's song, uh, I've been waiting for a girl like you. You remember that song? Anybody? Yeah? The synthesizers and all of that. I remember just falling head over heels for this girl. I don't even remember her name, but like I said, it was like 10th grade or something. And I remember just laying on the couch all, all, all weekend um, listening to this song over and over and over again, right? And then I didn't even have the nerve to talk to her on, you know, on Monday. It was kind of pathetic. But, but anyway, that, that was something that I was in love with her, whatever that means, right? Um, so there's that, that kind of teenagery sort of love, right? But there's also some, I think, well, anybody else, does anybody want to add anything to that? It's not all bad. Go ahead. Okay. That, that's a great point. That's a great example. Right? So let, let's, go, let's go through a handful. I think she had a great point here. Um, so uh, not all of them are, are, are bad, okay? 
some of them can be selfish. Mostly it is selfish, uh, but some of them are not. So, for example, the love of a, of a parent for a child. It's kind of a unique attitude, emotion, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's pretty much indescribable. Um, it's, uh, it's something that just, I don't know, I don't think there's any comparison to it, to, to, to be quite honest. Then you have the other way around, the, the love of a, a, a child for a parent, right? So where, uh, by and large, if there's a healthy love of a parent for a child, then there's nothing that that child could ever do that could ever make you stop loving them. Whereas nine times out of ten, if you flip it around the other way, it's, you know, children hate their parents more than, more than they love them. At least they, that's what they say. And then they get a little bit older and realize, you know what? My, uh, my folks actually had, had my best interest in mind. Um, love of a teenager, which I talked about a little while ago. Um, love of a friend. Um, you think about there's this flippant idea of friendship that we have these days where it's friends going together, and as, as, as long as everything's going well and everybody's having fun, then we want to be around, you know, they want to be around each other. But the moment somebody stumbles upon hard times, um, the friend, so-called friends tend to, to kind of go, you know, take off, right? But if you're going to have actual love for a friend, you're going to be there with them through good times and, and, and bad. And like Randy said a little while ago, it's, um, you know, there's a, a sacrificial sort of thing, right? So, Let's see, the love of one spouse for, for the other. Now, biblically, you know, you're one flesh, and there is, there is no separation, you know. Um, but kind of the biggest motive these days for divorce is what? I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. We fell out of love. He's not the same person I married, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, that means that if we can fall in love, that means we can fall out of love. And if you think about, I don't want to get too far ahead, but if you think about if God has this kind of love for us, where he falls in love with us, that means he can fall out of love with us, then that can leave us in deep doo-doo, so to speak. That's a technical term, by the way, deep doo-doo, okay? Um, but fortunately, our hope, our faith is in something that's different than that. Then there's um, the love of a song, movie, city, kind of food. So like I like said back there, we can love inanimate objects. It's like I love Rocky. I think it's the greatest movie of all time. Um, I love uh, Boston, believe it or not. There's just something about getting down into that musty T-terminal down three, three, three stories that I just, I know it's a disgusting smell, but I love it. I could live down there because I have such good memories of, of, of being there. Um, and so love can, it plays to our emotions. It plays to, um, uh, you know, I, I guess long story short, goes back to what Randy said, it, by and large, it's, it's positive feelings. If something evokes the positive feelings, we say we love it, right? 
So the question is, are these mostly about the lover or the beloved? And by and large, they're about the lover. Were you going to say something? Okay. They're about the lover, not the beloved. Okay. Not the one who is loved. And what we're going to find out soon enough is that biblical love is the love of the the beloved. It's, it's more the focus is on the object of the love rather than the one who is, who is doing the love. So are these mostly feelings, attitudes, or, or actions? So a feeling is like your response to something that happens to you. It's like, um, you know, it's, a, well, it's just a response. An attitude is an idea that you put in your mind, and it's 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 the, the willful decision on how you're going to respond to something and the way you're going to think about something. And actions are actually what you, the visible things that you actually, actually do and carry out. So by and large, when you look at these, they're mostly feelings, right? Okay? It, it's kind of a spectrum, but it's mostly feelings. It's mostly the way something, the emotions that, that um, uh, something causes in, in us. And now the question, open question, how does biblical love compare to this? That's what we're getting ready to look at. Um, how does biblical love compare? So biblical love is said it's not an emotion, it's what? It's action, right? And so a lot of times when we talk about biblical love, we tend to talk about it in such a way that it's just something that you do, right? So if, I'm, if I love Stuart, then I'm, I don't know, helping him in some way. I'm mowing his lawn, or I'm helping him study for something, or I'm helping him care for his grandchildren, or whatever the case may be, right? Um, and when we talk about biblical love, a lot of times, especially when it comes to the love of God, a lot of times we make it sound like it's devoid of affection, what I mean by that is it's like we take that whole emotion thing and throw it out the window, okay? But there is an affection or an emotional aspect to love, even when love is something that we're doing. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yes. 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 Right. Yes. Okay, and that's great. And we're actually, your question is so good, it's going to take a good chunk of the class to, to answer it. And so when we get to the end, um, can you um, tell me whether or not we've answered it? Yes. Don't let me forget. Okay. Because there's probably going to be some aspects of it where I'm not going to cover, but we'll make sure we, we hit it. All right. Now, everybody's heard that there are, well, not everybody. A lot of people have heard that there are uh, four words, Greek words, to describe love in the Bible. Okay? There's uh, phileo, which is what? Brotherly love. Think uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Um, there's eros, which is erotic, right? So it's like a romantic sort of love, that sort of thing. There's 
stergo, which is kind of a kinship love, and where you, um, you know, love a family, kind of that sort of thing. And then there's agape, which is the, the, the godly, selfless um, love where it's uh, sacrificial, it's action, it's, it's the, the, the love that, that we want to emulate from God. The, the, it's the godly love that we reflect of him, okay? Now, first of all, eros is never used in the New Testament. Um, so so that, that one we can kind of set to the side for a little bit. But those distinctions are not cut and dried, okay? Um, and, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. Just put your brain on pause for you know, about a minute. Um, but I'm just trying to kind of clear some clutter right now. Those distinctions between those four words are not clear-cut. As a matter of fact, there's so much overlap between those, two, those, those words that it's really not even helpful to really draw the distinction, okay? Um, the way I think about it, like specifically with phileo, which is brotherly love, and agape, which is um, the, the selfless love, that sort of thing, um, the way I think about it is the difference between fast and quick, okay? So with fast and quick, I can say, wow, they delivered the food really fast, or they, re- they delivered the food really quick. Those mean exactly the same thing. But if I'm talking about an athlete, and I say that one is fast and one is quick, there's a little bit different connotation there. So Hussein Bolt is fast. He's the fastest sprinter of all time. But Barry Sanders, if you know who Barry, I'm kind of dating myself again, Barry Sanders was a five foot eight running back who is like a darting fruit fly or something or a gnat. And um, he's very, very quick. Now, I wouldn't say Hussein Bolt was quick. Let's say he was fast. I wouldn't, and Barry Sanders was probably fast too, but you get the distinction, okay? So there's, there's overlap between the words phileo and agape, but there's also overhang, okay? But I think by and large, there's overlap. And either may constitute godly love because when specifically, when we're talking about the, fa- the love of the father for the son, um, and John... Um, Phileo is used once, and agape is used once. Okay, so they seem to be interchangeable within John. And, and there's also other examples, too, like his interaction with Peter and that sort of thing. So, so let's set that aside. We're not going to talk about phileo versus agape or anything. We can use agape if we want to. But really, I'm talking about godly love. Okay, does it make sense? And again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Um, it's just... That's generally, when we talk about um, the love of God, that's generally the first thing that pops out is these different words for God. So the essence of godly love is an unselfish, benevolent attitude toward the beloved. It's almost like you forget about yourself and your focus is on them. Godly love involves faithfulness, commitment, and an act of the will. Okay? So that's what we're talking about and when we talk about godly love. And so you can clearly see the distinction between that and the love of, you know, the so-called love of the 10th grade Fred, right? And then affection, like I said a little while ago, 
affection or emotions um, is not precluded, but it's not always necessary. You know, sometimes we love people because we're supposed to, and those, those are actions there. Okay, even though we may not necessarily want to. Some people make it easy to love them. Others, not so much. I can tell you, everybody in this church, y'all are easy to love. You make it real easy. I know some other folks that don't make it so easy. So I get no rewards for loving you guys. But those folks, yeah, you know, that other church down the street, you know, t- saying that tongue-in-cheek, of course. Any questions so far? No? All right. So let's look at kind of the, the love verse. Um, one second. Not the love verse, but the love passage. Um, this is probably read in a, several weddings here. But um, this is Paul, 1 Corinthians 13. Of course, he's talking about faith, love, and hope. And... Uh, what we're going to do is we'll go through it real quick. And I'm not really going to teach on this, but I'd like for y'all to make some comments about kind of what you see here um, in terms of characterizing love, okay? So love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice on, in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, Hopes all things and endures all things. Again, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Right? So what are your thoughts? How is love characterized here? Selfless. Selfless? Okay, good. What else? No, it's okay. Pa- patient? What, what, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty straightforward forward passage, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of hard to make observations without actually using the words up there, right? It's it's action oriented. Okay. Good point. Um, I was going to make an observation, but yeah, you're absolutely right, and we're going to have a slide coming up for that too. But you're absolutely right. Anybody else? It's intentional. That's a word that we don't use often enough, I don't think. It's something that you don't just casually love people, right? And to that end, if you, um, if you go to any either app or website that has the text of the Bible and do a New Testament search on the phrase one another in quotes, right? So everywhere where one another is, is in the New Testament, I forget how many times it's there, but it's high dozens. But it's where to love one another, bear one another's burdens, mourn with one another, rejoice with one another, build one another up. And so there's this idea of unity, unity within the church and unity um, and and then also um, benevolence outside of the church. But it becomes very, very clear very, very quickly that we're, in a sense, we're on all of this together. And the only way that works is with love, with selfless love, where we're helping one another and we're 
putting the other, loving the other person as we, we love ourselves. Yes, sir. One thing that the last verse there, it's got all in it mm -hmm. four times. Uh -huh. So love is a continual thing. It's yeah. not a, it's not seasonal. It's yeah. not, oh, well, I'll love you this time, but not next time. It's, right. It's, it's continual. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's not a, like a matter of convenience or anything like that. And I think that ties in really nicely with the whole in, intentional um, word as well. So that's good. Uh, Rand, Randy? Verses, sorry, yeah, yeah. I was corrected. <laughs> I, I think of this as somebody that I want to be around. Yeah. Or I think of God like these are the communicable attributes that we that He has, and so there's no person on this earth that if another person's around them and they're like right. this, that mm -hmm. you're not going to be pleased to be around them. So yep. it's like a list of just perfect attributes mm -hmm. of somebody who's forgiving and loving and yep. patient, and patient and kind. It, there's nothing that's about this aspect that you can't desire to be like right. or want in your life. And so, you know, when you're teaching your kids about this or anything like that, you're, you're teaching them to, under, to understand, like, these are good attributes. These yep. are good things to have. These are something to strive for because these are who God is. Mm -hmm. And people will want to be around you if you have these types of people want to be, you know, more like Christ and see Christ in you when you have these. That's great. That's very, very well said. I, I like it. And, and that's the kind of person that's easy to love back, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. Yes, sir. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good question, and I don't have, and I'll, I'll peek at Stephen to see if he might have a, a better answer than me, but um, in terms of believing all things, I, I think what that means is when you're, you're interacting with somebody, you don't have a, a position of suspicion. I felt like a rapper just then, you know, position of suspicion. So, um, you're not you're not suspicious by default, you know. You're there's the benefit of a doubt, kind of kind of that sort of thing. Um, and honestly, I don't I don't know what how to how to do any better than that. Do you have any thoughts? I, um, if you think of instead of the word believe, think of the word faith or is faithful in all things. Uh, okay. So it's, it's the, the position of suspicion. Works yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah, that that sounds like a song. Then the position of suspicion. All right. Yeah, trust. Trust. Okay. Yeah. Tr trust all things. Okay. Yeah, cool. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I see love and hope, so I'm thinking beliefs would be more like faith. So faith, hope, love. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think they're. Um, I think they're related. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Object of your love, you never give up on. Right. right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And 
and if you really kind of meditate on this passage, I almost said verse, but Monica would have corrected me, um, on this passage, then, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very convicting because it's amazing how, how far short we, we fall on pretty much every line of this. You know, it really does. But th- this is, you know, in essence, this is who we're supposed to be. All right. So a point that one of you guys back there made, <laughs> sorry. Um, sorry, everybody's kind of blending in together today for some reason. Um, John 13, verses 34 through 35 says, a new commandment I give to you uh, that you love one another. There's a one another verse, right? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, question. In order for people to know that you are my disciples, that we are Jesus' disciples, what is that presuming about love? There you go, perfect. It's visible. An emotion is not visible. An attitude is visible in its actions. So people will love, people will know that we are Jesus' disciples when they see the love that we have for one another. And I'll give you a great example of this. Back in 04, um, Jan and I were completely unchurched. I think I probably said that a a lot. Um, (laughs) But I'm talking blank blank slate sort of stuff. So we started going to this, it's actually a big church. Um, Went to a Sunday school. There was probably... I don't know, 70 people in there. And it was almost as big as our church, come to think of it. And uh, we'd been going, I guess, the second or third week. The first thing that happened was they, they passed around a, a clipboard because there was two couples that were um, pregnant. Actually, the ladies were pregnant, but the couples were expecting a baby, right? And, um, and so they were signing up for meals and that sort of thing. I'd never seen anything like that before. Something as simple as providing meals for, and I was definitely not saved at that time, um, something as simple as providing meals for a young married couple blew my mind. Again, I'd never seen anything like that. And I was like, wow, that is really cool. Then a couple of months later, there was a men's retreat and they invited me to the men's retreat, and it was just for the Sunday school class. And I think there were 28 guys, if I remember correctly. And so it was, a, uh, you know, Friday night. I think we came back Saturday, if I remember correctly. Um, but it was toward, like, Kerrville or something. And I spent a weekend with 28 guys, and I had never been around that many men or males or whatever where there was no arguing, there was no strife, there was no biting sarcasm, there was a, you know, a little bit of fun sarcasm, but there was, no, um, there was no contention at all. I'd only been around that many guys in like locker rooms, and those are very, <laughs> can, be, can be very, very vicious, vicious places, right? So I'd never seen anything like that before, and the love that those guys had for one another and me was amazing. It was, it was really a, a mind-altering and life-changing experience. 
So when you have the opportunity to go and live your life, don't put that light under the basket. Don't put it under a basket. You know, you, you don't want to sound trumpets and show off for people, but at the same time, you do want the unbelievers to understand what a, who and what a Christian is and does. Does this make sense? Any questions? No? Okay. I'm sorry? Yep. Yes, absolutely. Yep. He just, I don't know if you could hear him, but faith, he said faith and love are similar in that without works, you're dead. Exactly. Agreed. Yep. So now, what is the source of our love for one another? Should be a layup, but I'm not sure if I worded it very well. Should I say who is the source of our love for one another? Okay. Okay, God. God is the source of our love for one another. Um, we'll get to God is love in, in just a moment, but 1 John 4 says we love because he first loved us. And this gets into the whole idea that we talked about back when we were talking about grace that we don't love of our own accord. It's like the moon. The moon is not a source of light in itself. And the, the moon is this crater-ridden, gray, dirty sphere up in the sky, right? But when the sun bounces its lights, its light off of the moon, it's the thing of romance and poetry and movies and songs and you know, things of that nature. And it becomes beautiful. But it's all the work of the sun, right? So similarly, we reflect God's glory. We reflect God's love. We don't create our own glory. We don't create our own love. And we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit works in us, then God's glory is reflected out. Make sense? So what does it mean that God is love? Does it mean that he is the, quote-unquote, most loving of all beings? Well, is that statement true? Yes. But does it really say anything? It's almost like it's a damaging statement, right? I've read this in more than one place, that God is the most loving of all beings. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that, that is um, falling very, very, very short, right? Saying, saying that God is the most loving of all beings is like saying that water is the wettest of all substances, right? Water is not the wettest. Water is wetness. Does it make sense? So God is not the most loving. He is love. Similar sort of thing. Yes, sir? It doesn't make him transcendent? To, oh, absolutely, to compare him to other things. And so, yeah, that gets into the, the creator-creature distinction where um, I had a friend of mine named Eric who used to, every time I would say, you know, like, Jesus is 100% God, he'd say, no, 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 it's not numerical. You know, it's not a matter of degree. It's God is, is different than us, you know, in a qualitative sort of way. Um, and so, yeah, we, the, God being love 
and then us reflecting on it is the sort of thing you can't even really compare the two. It's just, the degrees are just so, uh, so vast. So it's saying that God is love, the same, same as saying that love is God. What's wrong with that? Yes, ma'am. It's more than that, right? Saying that love is God um, takes that particular attribute of him and makes it supreme, right? It, it la- raises it above his justice, above his holiness, above his wrath, above everything else. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people do, is they take love and they elevate it above everything else. And yes, he is, he is love, but he is also grace, but he's also wrath, he's also just, he's also um, holy. He's all of those things. To the, the extent where, you know, there's a, a couple of hymns out there that talk about at the cross, love um, won out over God's wrath. What's wrong with that statement? Or actually, it says defeated. Love defeated God's wrath. So what's wrong with the statement, God's love defeated God's wrath? Sorry? Yeah. Absolutely. It makes it sound like God's wrath and God's love are at odds with one another. Exactly. And it makes it sound like there's something wrong with God's wrath, like he shouldn't be wrath. Well, absolutely. If God's holy, God has to be wrath in response to sin. And so I I think the proper way to say it is that at the cross, God's love satisfied God's wrath. And And it was by God's grace. It was by his work. And so those two things have to be held together in harmony with one another. And it's hard to do that, but, but the reason it's hard to do that is our fallen nature. Now, I think I'm getting ahead of myself here, but, um, so forgive me, but when we think of wrath, we think of a capricious, um, selfish, vengeful, just nasty sort of wrath or a rage right? Um, And God is not like that. God's wrath is, again, it's in response to sin. It's, uh, there's always love. There's always justice. There's always all of these things together. And so his wrath is pure. I'm not going to say it's pleasant, (laughs) because I I don't want to encounter it. Um, But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with it. If we fear God's wrath, it's because there's something wrong with us. Yes, sir. Nanny just asked me a question. I wanted to see your thoughts on how I explained it. So um, she said, isn't every other attribute kind of under the umbrella of love? And I said, no, not necessarily. I said, I would put more of holiness above everything else, and then everything else would be under under the umbrella of holiness. Yeah. I don't know that everything would be attributed or f- come out of love, like the right. wrath out of love. Like I think there are different categories. There. Yeah, it's a really profound question. Um, yeah, it, it really is. Um, so now we. So here's the thing. Let's set holiness aside for a second because I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, 
God's attributes, there isn't one that's elevated above the other. Um, any of them elevated. And none of them, you know, one doesn't come out of, of the other. Okay? They're all, it, it's the sort of thing where we, any analogy that we use is going to be imperfect, but, but <laughs> um, my, the way I think of it is when you look at, um, uh, you know, you look at a diamond and the, the way it's, it's cut. And again, this is a very imprecise, imperfect, imperfect um, analogy. But, you know, you look at the diamond, it's each of those facets has beauty in, in itself. And, and together, they, they give a, like a fuller picture of, of, of the diamond. And love is one of those facets. It, it's not, um, you know, it's not the whole diamond or, or anything of that nature. Um, love is probably my favorite attribute of God. Um, but at the same time, God would not be God without all of them. And again, wrath is not a bad thing. Justice is not a bad thing. We, we want God to have those things. Because think about a world in which God is not just. Then there would, there would literally be no payment for any evil. So if somebody did unspeakable acts to us, our families, if we did unspeakable acts to somebody else or their families, and there's no, God is not just, then there's no, there's no payment for that, right? So we have to hold them all kind of in, in balance with one another. And, and I, I don't want to get like into technical language, um, but it's, uh, yeah, that, let's, let's just say that they're all in, in balance with one another. Now, holiness is kind of, kind of special because being holy is an attribute of God, but a lot of times when we say holiness, we're talking about godliness, right? So depending on how we're talking about holiness, holiness can actually be just God himselfness. Does it make sense? So holiness is kind of a little bit different uh, depending on, on how we talk about it. So if, if um, yeah, does it make sense? I hope so. Okay. If not, please talk to me. Okay. All right. Now, everybody's favorite. What is hate? Um, what does hate mean? <laughs> okay, Jenny, did you have a legitimate answer? <laughs> what was your answer? To wish evil for someone? Okay. Anybody else? So I'll say that um, that is a, a, a great answer in like what the world thinks of, of hate. Okay. Um, biblically, um, we think it's a, a strong negative reaction and attitude towards someone considered an enemy. Okay. So don't think about ill will on somebody yet. Just think of Okay, I'm considering that person as an enemy, and I've got a negative reaction. I, I don't like, um, I was going to pick on his burnt orange, but I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you don't, you, I, I see somebody that is sinning in some way. Pick, pick, pick a sin, right? Sinning in some way. And it's 
I'm looking at that and I have a negative reaction toward that. Um, and then, you know, to the, the extent that they're sinning against me, I have a strong negative reaction and I consider them my enemy, okay? Um, but there has to be some balance here, biblically, when we talk about hate, okay? Because when we look at Luke 14, 26, Jesus is speaking and he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So it says here, if you don't, Randy, if you don't hate all those people sitting with you, right, then you can't be his disciple. So does, do you believe that Jesus is saying you can't have a strong negative reaction or count them as enemies? Can I ask a question real quick? Yes, ma'am. Are there multiple Greek words for hate, like there is for love, which would have different meanings? Because it says in the Old Testament, it says at least twice that God yeah. hates things. Yes. We're going to get to that. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. What I'm doing here... started love with the Greek stuff, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I try to stay away from the Greek as much as I can. Um, but it wouldn't matter yeah. if it's... The no, that... Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, um, yeah, actually, we'll, we'll, we'll answer it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, what, so what I'm trying to do here is say there is a strong negative reaction. Counting someone as, 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 um, as your enemy, but at the same time, we have to balance that with sometimes it can be used in, would you call this hyperbole? Some kind of met- metaphorical language? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Reaction. I would yeah. say that maybe the biblical definition of hate is to reject. Okay. Because God hated Esau. God hates yeah. sin. We're supposed to be willing to reject yes. our family in lieu of Christ. Right. So I, maybe biblically it's better defined as rejection. I think your observations are great. <laughs> um, I just, um, I. Because I have to think about what it means to reject. Does it mean to walk away from or ignore, you know, just or have apathy toward, you know? Um, so th- those are great, great questions or great observations. I'm, I'm not sure reject is quite there. Hold, what, yes, sir. I think when you come to a point of decision about something, yeah, 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 yes. 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 Exactly. So what he's doing is he's saying, God's up here, and and your family and everybody are down here. Your loyalties, your faith is is it was is with him. Um, now here's the interesting thing: is if you really love God, you're going to love your family and your friends and and everybody else too, right? Um, but but what he is saying is ultimately your loyalties have to be with him. And so if if Going back to Amanda's point, if, if, uh, if they're rejecting God, there is the possibility that you need to reject them. I'm not going to say that outright, but there is the possibility there. Jenny? Well, I was just going to make a comment that, I mean, what Megan was saying, I'm sorry, I called you Amanda. I meant Megan. My bad. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> that we can, when, when, uh, I mean, when God clearly states up in 
that right, right. concept of Yeah. God can do things you can't do, but he I agree. chooses one and not another. There's yeah. a clear distinction between I think it's even stronger than that. So, so, and we'll get to that. I think it might be the next slide. I'm not sure. Sorry, I hate to keep put, pushing it out. Yes, sir. There's a ICP translation. I know it's not a common yeah. translation, but it says, if anyone comes to me but loves his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, or sisters more than me, yes. then he cannot be. Right. And what that would be is... Uh, it's taking a metaphor and interpreting them. It's getting rid of the metaphor and telling you what the metaphor means, okay. right? So, what or metaphor hyperbole? I'm kind of using those inter- interchangeably. So, so to sum it up, I, I think this what this verse is is it's exaggeration, right? But my point is, we can't just blindly say that every time that it says that you know we're to hate somebody or that God does hate somebody, it does not always mean outright. Um, treating them as an enemy, that sort of thing. So we have to look at the context. That's, that's the only thing. It's like um, uh, qualification. But by and large, hate means hate. Yes, yes sir. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, and, that, and that's to, to the point that it's uh, God above everything else. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And we'll get to Jacob and Esau in just a second. So. so, question. Does God love the sinner and hate the sin? Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. Yes. And for Jesus to tell us that you know hate and, and name everybody in the family, uh-huh. include your own life. Yeah. Had to be a different word. Yeah. Mean probably supposed to mean that you love anybody, mm-hmm. include your children, father, mother, include yourself. Yeah. More than Jesus, you yes. know, able to be my disciple. Yeah. But it's uh, since I know this word, but since yes. you have it tonight, yeah, yeah. it just bothered me. So yeah. Who is another Greek word? Yeah, yeah. That translates more yeah. correctly than yeah. hate. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're right in your in what you're saying, but what what it is is we can't take what he's saying uh, literally. He he's he's speaking in a figure of speech, right? So just like Jesus says, "I am the door." He, he's not on hinges and, you know, flat, right? So this is a similar sort of thing where he's saying if you don't hate your family, if you don't hate your family, so he, it's a metaphor, it's, an, it's kind of an exaggeration or a hyperbole. Because now yep. honor thy mother and thy Absolutely. All those people that he said there that if you don't hate, we're commanded to love, yeah. right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so great point. And, and everybody, I think, is making a great point. Um, and, you know, again, the point that I'm making is we can't take words. One, can't take words out of context. And the big thing is we have to understand a word in context, and we can't just blindly apply it to everything. Right? Okay. So great, great points, though.
So, does God love the sinner and hate the sin? Yes, sir. Well, the, the passage we read earlier in 1 John 4 yeah. says, we love because he first loved us. Yeah. He loved us when we were sinners. Right. Yeah, I'm getting to that. So, obviously, yeah. yes, he loves sinners. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it's, it's, does God love the sinner but hate the sin is the, the question, right? His wrath is for sin. Okay. All right, so does he punish the sin, or does he punish the sinner? Okay. Does murder go to hell, or does the murderer go to hell? Okay. So let's look at, I'll just be more direct here, we'll look at Psalm 11.5. It says, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Doesn't say he, lo- he hates wickedness, it says he hates the wicked. The one who loves violence. Psalm 5, 4, 6 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful should not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors, which I think is a strong hate, the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So clearly we can see here that his his hate is directed toward, biblically, it's directed toward not the sin, but the sinner. Okay? Now, question. Were we, were we God's enemies before we were reconciled? In other words, he, remember a second ago we said hatred, or to hate someone is to count them as an enemy? That's one of the, the definitions. Were we God's enemies before we were reconciled? Yeah? Okay. I, I heard uh, Sharon over there kind of give it, give it anyway. Absolutely, yep. Romans 5, 8 through 10 says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, while we were enemies, that's the saved, redeemed, when we were in God's enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So what do we do with that? God hates all evildoers, not just the non-elect evildoer. We were enemies, right? But at the same time, God loves God loves sinners and God hates sinners. How does that work? Right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that flippant. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, I want to keep going a couple of things, though. A couple more points. If divine love implies uh, action, does divine hate also imply action? And there we have to go to Malachi 1. You'll recognize the verse in just a second. Um, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, the Lord's love for Israel. I, um, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, 
How have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I, will, um, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. And there's another, I think, three or four verses that gets into kind of all the other things right, that he has destroyed, right? So when, J- when God says, Esau I hated, he means Esau I hated, right? Um, so we can't really soften it up. We have to take these Take these words and understand what it is that, that God is saying here. Don't worry, I'm going to pull this together in just a second. But does God always rain down hellfire on his enemies? No. Okay. There we go. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 46. This is the um, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is speaking here, of course. He says, Uh, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. So what Jesus is saying here is that Because God shows love to those he counts as his enemies, because God shows love to those that he hates, we are to do the same. Does that make sense? We are to do the same. And so we have this idea, is it the next one, that God both loves and hates the same person at the same time. So what we have to do is look at what, what is the, the biblical understanding of these words, okay? And, and I think the reason, I said this a little bit earlier, the reason we struggle with the idea of God hating a person and then still loving them is because we have this, sin, this fallen sinful understanding of what hate is. We have this fallen, sinful understanding of what love is. Somebody may be your enemy, but you love them anyway. That's the point. That's the whole point of this. That's what God does. That's what God did with us. We were his enemies. We spit in his face, and we rebelled against him. And to a very large extent, we still do that. But he shows his love for us, even as his enemies. And now, in Christ... We're no longer his enemies. We're his children. We're his treasured possession. We're a holy nation. And the Holy Spirit redeems us, changes us, changes our hearts, changes our minds. We're a new creation. Okay? Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Yeah. That, that hate or that the evil will be dealt with at the appropriate time. And he knows right. the appropriate time because he knows the beginning right. from the end and that justice is going to come. Absolutely. Early, not late. It's going to mm-hmm. come at the divine point of time. Absolutely. And God's vengeance, God's justice, all of that, it's untainted by sin. It's pre- and so we can't really get our minds around it. Yes, ma'am. Well, I think there's also this aspect of not, there's timelessness and mm-hmm. God is outside of our world right. and time. So he, the way he demonstrates his love with the rain on those even mm-hmm. that are unjust, 
there is an ultimate end to those people that are slated for destruction. So right. you know yeah. that end has been chosen by them by the yeah. choice of rejecting yeah. Christ. And so there's we can love them here yeah. what we think of as yeah. loving, um, drawing him drawing them giving good things yeah. to them. Yeah. Yet knowing that they're going to reject. And so yes. the ultimate end is destruction. Yes. A- a- absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Or sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Outside of Christ um, hanging on the cross saying, forgive me, or I'm sorry, forgive them for they know not what they do. King David and the way he um, responded to Saul, I can't think of a better example. So I I think you're absolutely right. So, so good point. So, so Saul was trying to destroy David. Clearly, David thought of, um, you know, D- D- Saul was David's enemy, right? But Saul loved him anyway, and he loved him why? Because he was the Lord's anointed. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have some ready? No. Okay. All right. Did I confuse anybody? No. Always. Okay. Okay. The reason we went through this is it's, a, it's really impossible to understand God's love without understanding to some degree what, what hate is. But biblically, what is hate is? What is hate is? That, that made no sense. So, um, so when we, we, we look at these ideas and we apply them to ourselves, you know, we have to we have to understand that that we 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 don't love things. We tend not to love things the way God loves things. We tend to love things because of our own selfishness. But we're commanded to reflect that love that He has. He's the source of it, and He's given you know through the Holy Spirit. We have the power to do that. We have the ability to to do that. Uh, the Spirit dwells within us and. You know, let, let them shine out, all right? Um, we've got, what, what's funny is this next section is actually what I thought was going to be the bulk of the, of the class, and we didn't even get to it. So uh, next week, what we're going to talk about is there's five ways that the Bible speaks of God's love. And um, I, I think it'll even help a little bit more even clarify some of the things that we've said. So Jenny did... Um, you had asked a question. Did we answer it? I think it's just there's so much in Yes. Okay. Awesome. I am too. And, um, and please, if you have any questions, if anything like confusion or whatever pops up between now and then, one noodle on it. But if you, you, you were still confused kind of going into next week, and when I say confused, I, don't, I just mean something that I said that may not make any sense. Um, Please, you know, let me know ahead of time, and I'll make sure that um, I get it into the lesson. All right? Cool. Stephen, would you? you close us? Yeah. Father, thank you for another day. Thank you for another breath. Thank you for this church body. We can come together and uh, consider who you are. Consider the depths of love and hate and uh, what it means for us to love one another and that others would know us by that that we would demonstrate that to each other today. 
you would speak through Ken as he preaches the word and that we would grow more like your son through it. Always let your will be done. It's in your son's name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir.